of grace to you and peace from our God and Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. Well, dear friends, in our, our current day and age, it's pretty easy to get confused about what scriptures we ought to listen to. We hear on the TV, the radio, from other pastors, from other denominations, that some things ought to be just kind of thrown off, that those are for the antiquated past. We actually even heard in our text for today a place where Scripture actually changed, didn't we? As the Lord came to Peter himself and told him that the dietary laws of the Old Testament were to be changed. Now Peter had grown up with, with that, that good Jewish culture. You know, part of that was we, we didn't eat pork. You know, there, there were other kinds of things that were considered to be unclean. You know, Peter as a good Jewish man going out into the Gentile world trying to preserve the scripture that he had been brought up with. Well, you can kind of imagine, can't you? You invite the Apostle Peter over to dinner and you've worked really hard, you know, or your wife has worked really hard in the kitchen and she's been slaving over this meal and she prepares, you know, something that you believe will, will be suitable. It's probably the best that you have to offer. And then Peter sits down at your table and he goes, well, I don't eat that. Right? And you're like, well, buddy, maybe there's a door. You know, don't let it hit you. Okay. And so we kind of, kind of imagine the conflicts that, that Peter is getting into. He's wanting to do what's right. He's wanting to preserve the scripture that was handed down to him. He's getting into some difficulties. And the Lord God comes to him and specifically says in, in that vision, you know, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter is, says back to the Lord, well, I, I've never eaten those things. Yeah, I'm, I'm a good Jewish man. I'm following the scripture. I'm doing what you know the, the law told, tells me to do. I, I don't do that. But three times the vision came. The Lord God in that particular instance changed some of those Old Testament laws. Right? He, he, he did that. We saw it in the scripture for today. But dear friends, what happens is that it becomes easy for us to become confused because we say, well, if the dietary law doesn't apply anymore, are there some other places where it's different? It's easy to ask that question, isn't it? But dear friends, what we really need to be able to keep in mind is that we don't really find any other place in Scripture where the laws are changed. In fact, as Paul is writing to Timothy, he says to him, All Scripture is God-breathed. And it is useful for correction, for instruction, in preparation for righteousness. You see, all the scripture is God-breathed. All the scripture has some 
application. All of the scripture needs to be retained. It needs to be considered in our daily lives. But again, you know what, what, what happens in your mind? You, you go, you know, you hear a text like you hear for today. Say, well, the, the dietary law changed. Okay, I understand that. You know, and well, then as I think about the sacrificial law, kind of changed, didn't it? Right, you know, you, you don't bring your, your bull, right, into the, the church on Sunday morning and have me sacrifice it and, you know, sprinkle blood everywhere. You don't do that anymore. And so then, then you begin to say to yourself, well, you know, that, if that doesn't happen, but really, what, what, what is the reason? You know, you think about it in detail. You know, Joseph and Mary brought the appropriate offering to the church when Jesus was born. Simply that the birth of Jesus didn't take away the sacrificial system. You know, guess what? As the church began, all of the apostles were teaching in the synagogues. They didn't separate themselves at the crucifixion of Jesus. They didn't say, well, you guys are a bunch of losers. You crucified the Lord and we're not going to have anything to do with you now. We're forming our own Christian church over here now. They continued to attend the, the synagogues. They continued to use the Jewish churches as their platform to spread the message about Jesus because right after all Jesus was a Jew. What's that name? No, what, what really got rid of the sacrificial system was that when the Holy Roman Empire, well it was before it was holy, wasn't it? The Roman Empire destroyed the synagogue in Jerusalem. Right, for the, the Jewish people, their whole system depended upon, we have this special place, and it is in the place that God ordained it to be, and this is where we will bring our sacrifices, and now it was destroyed. And now the entire Jewish nation was scattered, and then the Christians being persecuted had to go underground, and they had to meet in secret. It's kind of hard to have a secret meeting where everyone is bringing in their livestock and is being slaughtered and something has to be done about all of that. And so really the, the sacrificial system, it, it simply faded away. God himself never actually said, you know, don't, don't do stuff like that anymore, but rather it became inconvenient. It becomes hard. You know, maybe we go to another kind of obscure place in the Bible. You know, in, in the Old Testament times, the Bible says, you know, to, to you farmers, right, when you're harvesting your crop, you're supposed to leave the corners of the field for the poor, right? And a lot of you probably kind of remember that. At least your, your mom or dad maybe brought that up once in a while, but for a, a lot of us, maybe we didn't know that verse actually exists. But again, in our common day and age, people come and they say, well, how would that work? 
You know, some, some of you farms still today, and you're saying, well, Pastor, you know, if I, I left the corners of my field unharvested, it, it would just be wasted, right? Because the poor people from the city, they're not used to going out to the country, taking in the grain for themselves to have a, a little bit of sustenance through the year. Right? No one would know what was going on. You just leave the corners of your field you know, unharvested and, and you say, wow, how would that even work today? How would it work? Well, my grandfather back in, in the day, he was uh, very good friends with the Kretzmann family. And maybe you've heard the, the Kretzmann name before because, well, probably your grandparents had the Kretzmann commentary on the Bible up on their bookshelf. So it was completed in, well, maybe 1934 or something like that, you see. And so the Kretzmann's going back in our Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, kind of a, a long ways. Uh, my, my grandfather, very close friends with them. If you read in your Kretzmann commentary, he has something kind of interesting to say. He says, the Old Testament laws are left to the ingenuity of the believer to fulfill. You see, we kind of understand that there are things in the Old Testament that, that they just will be difficult. You know, there are things in the Old Testament today that they maybe don't make much sense for us. But rather than being like the other denominations in our day that just say, oh, well, uh, the Old Testament, just get rid of that. Right? And again, how does it logically follow? Well, if I don't have to follow the dietary laws, and it's inconvenient for me to follow the farming laws, and it just really wouldn't work out if I did some of the things the Old Testament says to do, I can just get rid of that part. And now if I can get rid of the entire Old Testament, then maybe I can begin to consider, are there some things in the New Testament that I don't really like? Well, sure, I can find lots of things that put me in conflict with my culture today. If I continue to speak about them, if I continue to follow them, if I continue to have them as precepts as well. And where does my logical thinking now take me? Well, let's get rid of those things in the New Testament that cause conflict. And now what am I left with? Well, I can still talk about the, the love of Jesus, well, in most places, right? Because let's face it, even the name of Jesus causes conflict. Watching just a, a little sitcom the other night that reminds us of, of what the current culture is like. You know, a fella comes over to babysit for the, this other couple's kid. And at, at the end of, of that session, 
the, the little boy comes up to his dad and, and he says, you know, Kyle told me about his best friend today. The dad, understanding that Kyle's best friend is Jesus, is very upset. Why are you trying to proselytize my son? I don't want you coming into my house telling about that wrath of God stuff. And then he finally finds out, well, what, what did Kyle say? Well, he said, your dad is like my friend Jesus. And if you tell him what happened, your dad will forgive you. You see? To be able to even speak about the forgiveness of Jesus in our day can trigger a reaction like that, can't it? People are angry. People are hostile. How dare you tell my child about Jesus? If we make that our standard, that we just want to be able to get along, that we just want to be able to have peace, Yes, we will come to the place where we cannot even talk about Jesus. It's completely the opposite of what our Lutheran Church Missouri Synod was teaching, yes, back in 1934. When Dr. Kretzmann wrote, it is left to the ingenuity of each believer as to how they will fulfill the Old Testament laws. At the time, yeah, the, the, the corners of, of the farm, that was kind of an issue. And, and so Dr. Kretzmann, he addresses right the corners of the field. And, and he says, you know what, for one farmer, maybe he will make the announcement in town. He'll advertise, hey, it's harvest time. If you need some extra grain, some extra potatoes, some extra corn, please come to my place and you can have the corners of my field. For another farmer, perhaps that becomes impractical and he will calculate the expense, the, the produce that he would have from the corners of his fields and he will simply donate that to the poor, you see. But certainly left to the discretion of each believer, left to the ingenuity of the believer, how that law will be accomplished. But we notice it's completely different that today when people say, oh, well, who cares? No one follows that anymore. That was written for some age way back there. Don't worry about that little detail. The book of Revelation says, not one jot, not one tittle will be removed from my word until all is fulfilled. Right? A, a, a jot, a tittle, that's like a period, like a comma. No, the Lord is saying you can't even remove any of the punctuation marks. Until everything is fulfilled. But again, what is the teaching we hear? Oh, forget about it. Right? 
Well, that doesn't apply anymore. Oh, who cares about that little thing? Uh, just get rid of it. But again, the fear becomes, what does that lead to? It leads to the church becoming ineffective. It leads to us not being able to speak the name of Jesus in the public square. It leads to us, yes, even disappointing our God. Now really, why did we come to church today? Well, I, I don't know that anyone is out there that fits this category, but sometimes people come to church because they are afraid of hell. You've heard about what a scary place hell is. You're afraid that maybe you're going to go there. You're able to reflect upon your sins and you say, you know what? I need to be saved. I am afraid. I'm afraid of that place. That's why I come to church. Because hopefully the pastor, he will share with me some way that I can avoid hell. Well, guess what? The second category really is, you know, I want to gain heaven. Right? Heaven sounds really wonderful. I want to be there someday. I want to get there. Those two things are really the carrot and the stick, right? I want to avoid hell. There's a big stick. I want to gain heaven. You know, a wonderful carrot. A gold carrot. It's really nice. I want that. But how do we get saved? We're saved finally because we love God. Right? What is going to help us to be in heaven? It is that love of God. The love that knows He sent His only Son to die upon the cross for our sin. That God loves me so very much and I begin to love Him in return. That is what opens the door, isn't it? You see, I can't earn God's favor by just trying to not do bad things, right? And I can't earn God's favor by doing a bunch of good things. I earn His favor when that love becomes real. When falling upon my knees before my Lord and Savior, I'm able to say with all of my heart, Lord, thank you so much for loving me, for opening the way to heaven for me, for forgiving my many sins, for lifting me up out of those sins and placing my feet upon the rock once again. And you know what? When you have that real love of God in your heart, your greatest desire then is to use your ingenuity to fulfill the scriptures as closely as possible, 
even when perhaps they don't make sense in your mind. Even though perhaps your friends and neighbors are saying, oh, don't worry about that one. Even though it's hard. But dear friends, that is what we're called to do. We're called to be different. We're called to stand against the culture. We're called to continue to study our Holy Scripture because all of the Scripture is God-breathed. And all of the Scripture is useful for instruction, for rebuking, and for our righteousness. Amen. And may the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be in your hearts and minds now and always. Amen.